Good evening and welcome to this Spirit and Life Bible study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight and our topic is all these things shall be added to you. Now, first of all, I want to do something unusual, which is I want to file an amended report on last week. Uh, could you turn briefly to the very end of Isaiah, roughly in the middle of your Bibles, and look at, um, we talked about no strangers and so on. And wouldn't you know it, after Bible study, I found the perfect passage uh, in Isaiah 65. Let's read those first five verses, shall we? We shall, if I can find it. Yes. 65, verse verses five. one to five, yeah. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. Mm. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Mm. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, hmm. who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, hmm. who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels. And here it is. Who say, keep to yourself. Mm. Do not come near me. Keep to yourself. No, that no stranger thing, the sort of ostracism thing. Keep to yourself. Don't come near me. Why not? For I am holier than you. Yes, there it is. For I am holier than Yeah, don't pollute me with your presence. How does the Lord actually feel about such people? These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Yes, I rest my case. Uh, we should have just read that <laughs> instead of everything else we talked about last week. Um, anyway, just an amended report. Uh, please accept my apologies. And uh, now all these things shall be added to you. There are these beautiful scriptures, aren't there, that says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And one says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What are those things exactly, and how do you seek the kingdom of God, and what are we promised about it? What do we have to go through to get there? So that's what we'll be talking about tonight, and would you care to join me for an opening prayer? Mm. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. Thank you, Lord, for coming into this world. Thank you for renewing religion. Thank you for bringing us your greater presence. Help us, Lord, to see you in the pages of your word. This is what we seek. Amen. Amen. Thank you, good friends, and sending out greetings to those of you online and getting audio and various things like that. Uh, pleasure to be with you. This phrase has been haunting me. All these things shall be added to you. Let's go look at the context of that. One such statement is in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's part of a longer discourse, but we'll just read three verses here. Start at verse 31 of Matthew 6. The Lord's been talking about food and clothing as concerns that people have. Therefore, do not... 31. 31. Okay. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
And all these things shall be added to you. Aha, there's our phrase, all these things shall be added to you. And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Okay, so there are three questions I would say that that statement raises. What is the kingdom of God? How do we get there if it is a there? And what do we get? What are these things that are added to us? In the context there, the, the, it seems that we get something to eat, something to drink, something to wear. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the literal idea of the passage, all these things. But this is not all that we're promised in Scripture. But let's look at this first question first. What's the kingdom of God? Let's go look at some passages. Turn to the right to Matthew 12, if you will. Let's try to get a sense of what this kingdom of God means here. Very important. That we should be seeking, and that should be our number one priority. Isn't that what it means? Isn't it obviously about priorities? That seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. The implication being, if we don't seek the kingdom of God, or if we are so unfortunate as to seek the kingdom of me, or something, you know, <laughs> Uh, all these things will be taken away from you or, or something like that. Uh, this is about priorities. And what is that top priority supposed to be? Let's look at Matthew 12, verse 20. Uh, in 24, the Pharisees accuse him of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the chief devil. And he says, uh, in verse 28, we'll just skip there in the interest of time. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God... By the Spirit of God. Casting out demons by the Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Oh. So the kingdom of God has something to do with driving out evil. Doesn't it? Isn't that the implication of that passage? That And it's the Lord casting out devils by the Spirit of God. Hmm. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And uh, this might be a good time to mention that generally the word spirit in Scripture, you are aware, probably good friends, that Swedenborg sort of divides the universe up into uh, goodness and truth or heart and mind, categories like this. And spirit has to do with the truth side. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, and the word God also is the truth side. You may remember, in fact, put your finger in here for a second. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 1 at the very beginning of the Bible. We always seem to go back to the beginning. And if you look throughout chapter 1, what is the name of God that is used? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God did this, and God did that. The Spirit of God, 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 all the way through chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 2 says God, verse 3 says God, and God created and made. And then verse 4 says the Lord God. And the Lord God is in small caps there. Now, this has sent scholars reeling off into heights of fantasy and ridiculousness about there being an Eloist and a Yahwist text, and they're two entirely different things, and they were sewn together by somebody after the fact. No, uh, that's not what it means. The word God has to do with truth, the truth side of it. 
and the Lord God has to do with the love side. You get two creation stories, and the first one's done by truth, and the second one's done by love, and they're sequential. They belong together like that, and the name of God is a clue. It's one of the fabulous things that Swedenborg said. Who else explains that? Nobody explains this stuff. He's the only one who explains it. But it makes such sense when you see it. So it's truth that brings you through those six days of being reworked, the extreme makeover meant by those days of creation. That means truth. So going back to Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, Spirit meaning that divine proceeding, the God meaning the truth, uh, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. So the word God in the kingdom of God has something to do with truth, but it's also truth casting out devils. That's what I conclude from that little bit. Turn to the right to Matthew 21. And let's go toward the end of the chapter there, long chapter. Wow, okay, this is fun. Let's start at verse 28. He's tangling again with the Pharisees. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. Okay. He answered and said, I will not. I will not. I like the straightforwardness. The <laughs> honesty is admirable. I'm not doing it. Okay? But afterward, he regretted it and went. Oh, in the old King James, he repented, Ooh. which is a meaningful sort of expression, but regretted it is fine. He regretted it and went. Okay? Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. I go, sir. Nice, polite you know, he adds sir there. That's so nice. And what did he do? But he did not go. But he didn't go. Hmm. Which of the two did the will of his father? <laughs> That's a great little question. <laughs> if you say, I'm not doing it, uh, and then you go do it, is that better than saying, I'm going, and then not showing up? Which, which is the worst of those two? Okay, and so what do they say to him? So which is the best? They said to him, the first. The first is the best. Which of them did the will of his father the first? Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to mm, you... Listen to this. ...that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Whoa! Tax collectors and harlots... Now wait. So the tax collectors and the harlots would be people who, said, who the Lord called, and they said, I'm not going. I'm not about that. I'm not a religious person or whatever, whatever it is. It's just like, I'm not doing it. And then they regretted it. And they turned around and went. And then who might this other group be? Okay, go on. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. What a phrase, the way of righteousness. Okay. And you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Yes, look at that. And again, the old King James says, and when you had seen it, you did not repent afterward that you mm. might believe him. So it uses repent twice in this passage. And uh, so, so who are the people who said, I'm going, but didn't go? It's the Pharisees, right? I'm going, but they didn't go in. So... Does it mean that uh, the best way to enter the kingdom of God is to be a harlot or something? Uh, no, it, that's someone who said, I'm not going, and then they changed their mind. It was the repenting 
wasn't it? It was the repenting, the regretting, and so on, and changing their course. That's, so how did those tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God? They changed their lives. So God means the truth. The kingdom of God is when you deploy that truth in your life. And the first thing that truth tells you to do is to repent. So the kingdom of God is a condition that you come into when you live by the truth that you know. And John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the harlots did believe him. So that should have been something to you, that you saw them go in and you saw them change their lives because they're going through repentance and everything. And then he adds that when you saw it, you still didn't repent. You know, you still didn't change. Like you saw people's lives being changed and you still didn't turn around and believe what John had said. So the way of righteousness is very much akin to the kingdom of God. And how they enter the kingdom of God is by doing repentance and changing their, changing their lives. I think that's very instructive. And uh, look at verse 43. <whistles> Whew. Therefore, I say, <laughs> Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Oh, so the kingdom of God has something to do with living by the truth that you know. That's mm -hmm. what I'm arguing here. So, and this is what Swedenborg says it means. Okay, wonderful. Uh, let's turn to the right to Mark chapter 12. That's the next gospel there. Let's go to 12. And uh, it's an interesting little story that I think only Mark contains. You know, in every one of the, or at least in the first three gospels, there, there's always times where he gets tested. All these people come and test him, and they're firing questions at him, trying to throw him off. So he's in that mode here in Mark. And uh, so, look at verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus. Now, this is tough because there are 613 commandments. So, you know, which of those do you feel is the absolute top one? Does Jesus take long answering? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And although you didn't ask, I will give you as a free bonus. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So loving the Lord and loving the neighbor, this is where this comes from. When you read Swedenborg's works, he's often talking about loving the Lord and loving the neighbor. Now, how does this scribe react? So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Yes, better than all the other 611 other commandments is to do that. And what does Jesus say to him then? Now when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> Interesting statement. 
So the kingdom of God seems to have to do with your understanding, but also an understanding based on your life. And guess what happened? That shut everybody up from then on. But I'm paraphrasing someone. <laughs> but after that, no one dared question him. Yes, that's right. So that, w that was the end of it. And interestingly, the, the scribe had to say, you know, that's, that's really accurate, actually. That, that's, a, that's an amazing answer kind of thing. So that's, that's neat. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Okay. Turn to the right. Let's go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 17. It's the next gospel over there. And we'll read something that you must be already thinking, I imagine, good friends. Look at verses 20 and 21. Again, a conversation with Pharisees about the kingdom of God. They'd been proclaiming this kingdom of God since his ministry began. And so people are kind of curious about this. So this is what they ask. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, mm. he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Oh, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Okay. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, that's why I argue that the kingdom of God is an inner state that develops as you live by the truth that you know. That's what creates the kingdom of God. That's why the tax collectors and harlots were said to enter the kingdom of God. That's why the Pharisees were said to not enter it, because they might have had that understanding, but they didn't live by it. Uh, and, and that's the critique there. Okay, and turn to the right to John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again in that process of being born again. Some people think it's just by going through water baptism or something, but it's actually that whole process of regeneration living by the truth that you know. And if you don't go through that, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, he adds another phrase to it. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Yes, people stop at the word water and they think, oh, just get baptized and that's it. But it didn't say that. Born of water and of the Spirit, which actually means sort of an external truth and that internal truth, the Spirit. Right? We've already read about the Spirit of God tonight, didn't we? Unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, which is that rebirth that truth takes us through, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's how we enter the kingdom of God, just like those tax collectors and harlots. We have to change our lives according to that truth, and then we enter the kingdom of God. All right, let's turn to the right uh, let's just go to Galatians. Okay, so we'll go to Acts through Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then you get to Galatians. Uh, this is Paul's epistle, and um, very powerful passage in chapter 5. Let's start at verse, well, let's start at verse 14. That's a good place to start. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. All the law is fulfilled. So if you boil it down to one word, he has love of the neighbor there. So a similar context to these other passages. Go on. But if you bite and devour one another. Such fun. 
Beware lest you be consumed by one another. Uh-oh. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Oh, the Spirit is that truth. It's your marching orders. That's what walking in the Spirit means. Walking in that divine truth from the Word. Uh-huh. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh-huh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Yes, you, you wish you could do them. But it's self-restraint, isn't it? It's not doing what your lower self wants to do, what's called the flesh here. The spirit is against the flesh, and the spirit is telling you to live in a different way. The tax collectors, the harlots, not to pick on them, but they happen to come you know, to the forefront in these passages so far. But uh, they're, they're living in a certain way according to the flesh. And then when they live according to the spirit, it's entirely different. And that's very challenging to sort of change your direction and live by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. And part of what happens there is that you can't do what you want. Oh, interesting. So seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things should be added to you. But in the short run, you may not be able to do the things that you want to do. Like in the short run, there could be a sense of loss or deprivation or being starved of something you enjoy. Uh, but in the long run, you'll you'll have things added to you. Go on. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Yes, and under being the operative word there. You're under the law like being under arrest, you know, like you run afoul of it or something. Go on. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, Here it is. that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes. Now, I think practice means keep working at it, you know, like continually through your whole life. That's the way that you live. If you practice those things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is what you get when you lay those things aside because the Lord told you to and you live a better life. Then you enter the kingdom of God. And we read about that a little bit here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, hmm. long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So you're not under the law when you're living that way because the law is not coming down on you because you're not breaking it. Uh, there's no law against being loving or joyful or peaceful or long-suffering and so on. So remember those things, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Mm -hmm. Fruit meaning doing. And Spirit is the truth. You know, you deploy the truth in your life. And here's what you get. You get love, joy, peace, long... doesn't come instantly, but as you keep working it, this is what happens. Against such there is no law. And this uh, rather chilling phrase here. Uh, and verse those 24. Who are Christ's, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yes, yeah, so even more than saying the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, it's actually a kind of a crucifixion. This really got me thinking this week that uh, when the Lord was on the physical cross, 
it was just an external symbol of a process that he'd been going through for years, for decades. Even though he wasn't all that old, he was only 33, but I think since he was about 13, he'd been going through this process of torment, um, the crucifixion of the flesh with its affections and lust. And that was just finally sort of modeled in this physical crucifixion. But he was, had been going through a much longer crucifixion, as we've talked about other times in this Bible study, um, where he, he tells people, you have to take up your cross daily and things like that. This is the crucifixion. So short run might involve some crucifixion. Long run, all these things will be added to you. All these, you know, that's the sort of short story on Christianity. It's not actually instant gratification. It's interesting that some, some, some bad teaching has turned it upside down to where it's supposed to be some quick fix, some permanent instantaneous thing. Boom. You're saved, boom, everything's all taken. No, that's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is it's going to be hard. What does the Lord say? He says, um, you know, in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Uh, there's going to be hardship involved in this, but there will be good things at the other end. So is that a nice little disquisition on the kingdom of God? It seems to involve repentance, you know, laying aside that list of evils that we just read about, following the truth, and coming gradually into these qualities. It's the truth of God when that becomes a kingdom, when you become the kingdom of God, when you enter into that state, both the state of living by it and the state of understanding. He says to that scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God because you're coming into that understanding when you really live by it. Uh, that's what the kingdom of God is. Okay, so seek first the kingdom of God, i.e. repent, lay aside evils, and so on. And that's going to be tough. It's going to be like a crucifixion sometimes. And Paul says, I die daily. But, so now we know what the kingdom of God is. We have some idea of how to get there. So, what do we get? What, what do we get? Okay. Well, uh, Let's go to Psalm 16. I'll do these in any sort of random order, but I wanted to do this because I'm almost certain it's going to set our dear reader to singing out loud. Let's see. Uh, Psalm 16. Uh, hmm. Oh, let's start at verse 8 and read down. She won't sing immediately, but it'll come. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Hmm. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Wow. Now, I thought the flesh was just going to go through all that tough crucifixion, kind of affliction, kind of difficult stuff. But it says here, future tense, my flesh will rest in hope. Go on. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Yes, Sheol or hell in the old King James. And uh, so... That implies that we do go through a difficult time. We go through that affliction and crucifixion and everything, but the Lord is not going to leave us there, not if we're honestly following Him with our hearts and everything. Go on. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Here we go. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Thank you. And at the... And uh, I can't remember. How yes, right. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
pleasures forevermore. Our pleasures. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You will show me the path of life. That's that truth. That's how we need to live, right? That was really impressive. And um, <laughs> in your presence is fullness of joy. It was just talking about the Lord is right at your right hand, right? Mm. So we're not going to be right moved. Hand. Our heart is glad. Our glory rejoices. Even our flesh, even the outside of us is resting in hope. In the Lord's presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures. I thought pleasure was bad. Mm-hmm. Isn't it bad? Isn't it bad to? Isn't that sinful? Pleasure? Isn't that bad? Oh, I think the thing that was bad was what Paul just told us. Strife, envy, adultery, fornication, you know, that whole list of things. Uh, that's what's bad, revelries and all on. Just pleasure in and of itself is neither good nor bad, but it can be good. So at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, it seems like a very bold promise when the Lord says all these things shall be added to you. And yet, when you think about pleasures forevermore, all these things just sounds like an understatement. They'll just be added to you. It's almost an understatement. Like it's going to be better than just, oh, these things will be added to you. You know, there's going to be pleasures forevermore, it says. Now, I really hope that this can encourage us as we go along in our journey, because it can be really tough sometimes. You know, when you're going through that kind of long, slow crucifixion in your spirit, it doesn't feel great. Uh, But the Lord wants to give us that pleasure and His presence. And it doesn't just say one pleasure. No. It says, there are pleasures. Mm -hmm. And then the other one sings, our pleasures. Because (laughs) there are a lot of them. Forevermore. Forevermore. Mm. It's wonderful. Okay, uh, let's go to the right to Psalm 84. We'll jump around a little bit here. Um, hmm. Verses 10 and 11. What's another promise here? Oh, I can't find it. 84, 10 and 11. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Mm. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Yes. So the kingdom of God is moving away from wickedness, no longer dwelling, no longer practicing, no longer dwelling in the tents of wickedness. And what does it say? For the Lord God is a sun and shield. A sun and a shield. Now, this is a very important element of this, that the Lord is protecting people from evil. When you go through that change with repentance, then the Lord protects you. And that's an important piece of it as well. He's a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good. So all these things, and you think, well, maybe it's just food, drink, clothing. No, it says no good thing will he, it's future tense, but no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Mm. All right. So there are big promises like this in Scripture. Uh Let's look in the New Testament for a second, shall we? So let's turn to the right and go back to Matthew. I want to go to uh, chapter 25. And verse 14 is the beginning of the parable of the talents. We'll go through this quickly, but this master gives one person five talents, 
and another one two, and another one one. And then the one who had five talents in verse 16, he went out and traded and got another five talents. And the one who had two got two. But the one who only received one dug in the earth and hid the money. And then the master came back. And let's pick up at verse 20 there. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides mm. them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Mm. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Such a wonderful phrase. And the few things, the talent was 75 pounds of gold. I have no idea what that's worth. I calculated it once upon a time. But anyway, it has a lot of zeros on it. Uh, but that's called a few things. Uh, <laughs> I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Two talents, same way. He gains two back. And the Lord says exactly the same thing to him. And then the one who hid it in the ground said he was afraid and he hid it. And the Lord, the master calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Uh, you should have at least given my money to the bankers and then I would have had it with interest. Verse 28, very challenging statement. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Wow. So the person who had one talent is going to be taken away and given to the one who has 10. And what does it say? For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Yes, that wonderful language of the Bible. Go on. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think that servant is in the same boat with the people who said, I go, sir, and then they didn't go. You know, he, he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do there. And so... Everyone who has more will be given and they'll have abundance. So abundance is another word to add here. All these things will be added to you. But for someone who doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away and given to the person who has the most. So the person who had five talents traded them for another five and then got another one for free. They got, they got six talents. This is a picture of the abundance that the Lord wants to give us. It's much fairer than it sounds, but I don't have time to defend the passage right now. But just, it's another one about abundance, isn't it? Uh, it's about abundance. And uh, the Lord, because we do work, like it doesn't say the Lord just came and then gave them more money. They went out and they did something with it. Those teachings, they deployed them in their lives and they got something much better. And the one who didn't deploy them, that, that means not living by the truth that you know. Same theme of the evening. And uh, let's turn to Luke. Turn to the right two Gospels and go to Luke chapter 6. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's start at verse 20 here. There's two passages in Luke 6 that I want to read. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, blessed are you poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Wow, same topic, all right? Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. Oh. For you shall be filled. For you shall be filled. Right, same message of Christianity. It's not instant gratification. It's do without now. Get something later. Go on. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Mm. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Mm. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. Oh, your reward is great in heaven. It's like all these things shall be added to you, okay? For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Yes, and then it goes on, Woe to you who are rich, you know, because you've already received your consolation and things will be taken away. Similar kind of message. And further on in Luke 6, let's start at verse 35. But love your enemies. Do and it's good. just been saying, mm -hmm. if you do good to those who do good to you, you know, like everybody does that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it says in verse 35, But love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Yes, your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, mm. for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Yes, He's kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So we are to practice that same sort of thing. Go on. Uh, therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Mm. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then this beautiful statement. Listen to this. Mm. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Listen to that. Wow, and that image, a very physical image, but a good measure. You know, so it's already like a generous measure. And then what happens to it? It's pressed down. I mean, what you worry about is like you, you get a bag of chips and there's a whole lot of air and there's three chips in there or something, you know. Uh, no, this is the opposite of that. You get a good measure. It's pressed down. And then to try to get some more in, you shake it together. Try, try to get it to settle. Get as much packed in as you can. And what else? Running over. Running over. Yeah, just, well, let's... That's not enough. Let's pour some more in there. So it's flowing over the sides. That's what will be put in your heart. That's what it means by your, by your bosom. The same measure that you use will be measured to you again. So if you're generous, if you're kind to the unthankful, to the evil, if you're merciful, if you're not judging and condemning and all that, but you're forgiving people, uh, as you give, it will be given to you so much that you don't even know what to do with it. To me, that's very related to the idea that all these things should be added to you. In fact, it goes a little farther again. It says, it'll be a good measure. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. That's what you will receive for doing all this. So beautiful, beautiful promises. All right, uh, let's look briefly at some other kind of uh, promises. Let's go all the way back to Genesis, shall we? Genesis chapter 1 again. Hmm. All right. We read this just a couple of weeks ago. But that so often happens in Bible study that the same verses seem relevant to another topic, even though they, there's no straight line in my mind between them, but, but there they are. Genesis 1 verse 22. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. Yes, and verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I think this be fruitful and multiply has the same, same meaning. Like being fruitful in that inner meaning is to be charitable, to be kind, that spirit that we just read about. Be fruitful, isn't that the same thing? It seems amazingly fitting to me that we read that right in that order. I hadn't planned on doing it that way. But that if you give, then boom, you're going to get this multiplication effect. It's going to increase. Swedenborg talks about feeling heavenly joy, and it's so overwhelming, and every fiber of his body is just trembling with how amazing the joy is. And then when he wishes to give that joy to someone else, it doubles and triples. It just it multiplies. In, in that act of giving, it multiplies. Um, let's look at Genesis chapter 8. Okay, verse 17. This is about Noah. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Yes, abounding. Again, this, I, this, these are kind of subtle images to me, but I think they fit with our topic that, that there's going to be this abundance coming up. And uh, it may be a bit of a stretch to, to some of you, but I really believe that the, the cattle and the birds and the creeping things are good things in us. They're good feelings. They're good thoughts multiplying in us and filling our lower self meant by that earth. Remember it said your flesh will rest in hope. That's our outer self being in a good condition. And in 9 verse 1, God blesses Noah and says, Be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. And in verse 7, he says, You be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply there. Good, good. And we turn to the right to 17, chapter Genesis chapter 17. Uh, this is about Ishmael. Let's read this. At verse 1? Verse 20, I'm sorry. 17, verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Mm. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Yeah, wow. The Old Testament is full of this idea that it's going to spread, it's going to grow, it's going to be abundant and so on. Uh, oh, look at 28 verse 3 here. Uh, Isaac calls Jacob and blesses him. And what does he say in verse 3 of Genesis 28? May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. Yes, I think this is the same idea. All these things will be added to you. There will be this increase that goes on later on. Anyway, there's a lot of passages of that type that we could read, uh, but this refrain occurs. I mean, let's, let's see. Go to the middle of your Bible, which would be like Psalms or Isaiah there somewhere, and turn to the right, and let's go to, through Jeremiah to Ezekiel chapter 36. Mm. I, just, I can't get enough of these passages. They're so beautiful to me. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, there's so many things I want to, but look in verse 25, it talks about being cleansed from our filthiness and our idols, 
getting a new heart and a new spirit. Mm. The Lord says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Didn't we read just a bit before about walking in the spirit? That's about obeying those commandments. You shall keep my judgments and do them. And you'll dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you'll be my people and I'll be your God. And I'll save you for uncleanness. And uh, go on. Let's, let's read verse 29 there. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it. Oh, I'll multiply it. And bring no famine upon you. Uh -huh. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Yes. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. That's right. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. You might even call yourself a tax collector or a harlot or something, <laughs> but you'll loathe yourself for the bad things you used to do. And uh, I'll cause you to dwell in cities. The wastelands uh, will be rebuilt. And look at verse 34. 34, the desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Now think about that for a second. This land that was desolate has become like the land of Eden. That's the level of transformation that the Lord wants to do. And what is the image of Eden if it's not an image of pleasures forevermore, an image of abundance, of fruit, good things, water, and, and so on? in great abundance. Uh, let's just read the rest of that verse there. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And inhabited. That's the sort of makeover the Lord wants to do with us. Good, good, good. There are so many passages like that. We don't have time for them all. There are also all these passages that Abram is a shepherd and he has this flock and then the flock greatly increases. And then Jacob is a shepherd and he's shepherding with his relative Laban, and, uh, and his flock greatly increases. And then the children of Israel are living in Goshen in Egypt, and they're shepherds, and their flock greatly increases. <laughs> uh, scripture keeps having those kind of stories. Um, and, oh, let's look at... Uh, where is that? Let's look at Mark chapter 40 in the New Testament, okay? We've been jumping around a lot tonight, but I wanted to do it thematically because there are different topics. Mark chapter 4. Okay. Chapter 4. Verse 30, actually. 4 verse 30. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? The what? The kingdom of God. Oh, Oh, we're going to learn something more about the kingdom of God. Well, that's good. Okay. Or with what parable shall we picture it? Oh, okay. It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. Oh. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and mm. shoots out large branches mm. so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Yes. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Again, this is very strongly against any idea of instantaneous bang, ooh, went through something and now I'm safe. No, it's going to be a process. And it'll start with something very, very small, that grain of mustard seed. But when it's sown, the important thing is that it has to be sown in your life. That truth, seed means truth. 
half of everything means truth, but uh, <laughs> seed means truth when it's sown in the earth, meaning you deploy it in your out, outer life. It may be a very tiny looking thing at that point. You're just, oh, I tried not to, you know, backbite and devour somebody today or something. But when it is sown, it grows up and there's this growth and it becomes larger than all those plants and it shoots out these great branches so the birds of the air come and live in its shade. This is a, a profound picture in the language of correspondences about how these birds have to do with spiritual truths and you know, your understanding that develops. That's what the kingdom of God is like. You live by that truth and this growth takes place. Oh, I think that's uh, a lot of the passages I wanted to look at. There are some very interesting passages that we don't have time for tonight that say that you and your descendants will live in the land forever. Now, in this physical world, nobody lives forever. But these passages say you and your descendants will live in the land forever. That's obviously talking about the land as a spiritual thing that you will live there. And I think it's taking the descendants as a spiritual thing. All this growth, all this abundance that comes out more and more and more over time. Uh, let's look at Revelation for one last passage, shall we? Revelation 22, just to go to the other complete end of Scripture. Let's look at 22, starting at verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Yes, everyone according to his work. So again, this idea of reward. There's many places in Scripture that we haven't read tonight where it talks about a reward that's coming to us. Okay? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then this crucial statement. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Mm that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. I believe that's exactly the same as being born again and entering into the kingdom of God. That's the same thing it's talking about. Mm -hmm. And Paul said, if you're practicing all these evil things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You have to, the verse right before this in verse 11 says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that's filthy, let him be filthy still. Uh, there, there's a separation between the righteous and the filthy that happens. And um, so we need to live by this. So in the short run, as we try to enter into the kingdom of God, we go through something painful, a painful process, a long gradual process in which we stop doing the things that we want to do. You cannot do the things that you want, said Paul. Uh, we have to set things aside, and that creates an atmosphere of death and loss and deprivation and starvation. I love the fact that in Scripture it's described as wandering in the wilderness and being thirsty and hungry and so on because you're doing without these things that you used to have and enjoy, the flesh pots of Egypt that, that are no longer in your life. Uh, but the Lord encourages us by saying, if you make the kingdom of God the most important thing in your life. And what I love about that is it's not a static thing. It's a process we have to do. The kingdom of God is a lifestyle. It's deploying the truth in our lives. Make that the center of your life. 
and all these things will be added to you, not immediately, and it'll take a long time to get the right thing at the top. It's a silly analogy, but I often think about this Winnie the Pooh story where it was very, very rainy, and Winnie the Pooh <laughs> and his honeypot, they're sitting up in a tree, and finally he falls into the water, and they spend a long time trying to figure out whether the honeypot is on the top and Pooh's on the bottom, or whether Pooh is on the top and the honeypot's on the bottom. Well, this is a very beautiful picture of our regeneration to try to figure out, well, is it all about the pleasures or is there something higher than that? And rolling back and forth in that flood. Uh, it's difficult and a long process to try to figure that out. But scripture promises these things. It says that we will have what the clothing, the clothing means truth. In Luke 12, it says that, you know, uh, not even Solomon in all arrayed in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Uh, if God so clothes the grass of the field, um, that's the truth that the Lord clothes us in. Being clothed in truth, being able to eat, you know, take in love and so on. Uh, what is, will be added to us is love and truth, pleasure, joy. Didn't we read about pleasure tonight? Uh, peace, safety, the Lord will be a sun and a shield, will be safe, uh, multiplication, fruitfulness, overflowingness, the same generosity with which we give will be given to us and shaken down, pressed together and overflowing, that safety from evil I already talked about, uh, the presence of God, it says, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore that sense of the presence of God and safety. Actually, I think if we look at it in this right light, uh, it's an understatement to merely say, all these things will be added to you. But it is a comforting promise that while we're doing without, uh, we can be promised by the Lord that something will come back our way. I hasten to say, good friends, that I think there's a right way to hold all these passages and a wrong way to hold them. And what I mean by that is that there have been people over history who deprive themselves of pleasure and whip themselves with a whip and they starve themselves and they, you know, because they believe they will get this phenomenal reward in the spiritual world. Uh, and Swedenborg warns us that that generally makes you no fun and angels don't want to be around you. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. That's, you know, seek first the kingdom of me. You know, that's, uh, that's putting the reward at the top. The kingdom of God is not about reward. It's not, oh, what a good boy am I, or I'm that passage we started with from Isaiah 65, that I'm so holier than other people. I don't even want them around me. Uh, that's not what it's about. What did we read? It's about giving. It's about generosity. It's about other people making it. It's about giving love to others. It's about sharing truth with others. Um, it's not about counting up brownie points and adding up, you know, I've spent lots of my life with a scorecard trying to add up how much I suffered and were there 13 or 14 bad things today and, <laughs> you know, trying to keep track. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about that. It's talking about that good, honest suffering we go through as we try in a good-hearted way to live by what the Lord teaches us. 
that there will be in the short run some sense of loss, sense of hardship, sometimes affliction, sometimes temptation, uh, sometimes even feeling to that point of despair that feels like crucifixion and agony and so on. But this is what the Lord calls us to, that very process, that very intensity of going through that suffering is actually purging and cleansing us and taking us through something good, humbling us, giving us more compassion and uh, other good qualities uh, before the Lord, being grateful for what the Lord does for us instead of being some kind of titan who has carved out our own reality and built our own heaven and, as the song says, walked through the front door, you know. Um, it's not about that. It's about being thankful for being saved. Um, so these passages are not about arbitrary, self-inflicted suffering and then going to the other world. As some of you have heard me say before, uh, Swedenborg talks about these people. He just sees people filing into the spiritual world who are sort of demanding their reward. Okay, I, where's my reward? You know. Because they, because they feel that they suffered so much and they did all this stuff and they gave it all up. So now I'm going to, you know, where's mine? You know, that's not what we're talking about. This is meant to be a comforting message to that tender part of us that suffers sometimes through that long death of the outer self. That there are things that will come back to us. If we can make that, that kingdom of God, that process of following the Lord and deploying that in our lives about that generosity to others, about genuine truth, if those things can be the most important things to us, then bit by bit, bit by bit, the Lord will add in these other pleasures. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We pray for your help, Lord. We pray for your presence with us at our right hand. Help us to go through this repentance process, to lay aside those things, however much pleasure we may have taken in them at some one time. Sustain us, Lord, as we go through temptations and even despair, sometimes feeling that we're wandering in the wilderness. Thank you for this reminder, Lord, that there's a holy land up ahead, a land flowing with milk and honey, and there are pleasures there forevermore. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we can make that kingdom of God happen for others as well as ourselves.